is a day to remember that the time is always right to do what is right. To remember that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. To remember that forgiveness is not an occasional act, but a permanent attitude. To remember that faith is taking the first step, even when you don't see the whole staircase. To remember that our lives begin to end the day that we become silent about the things that matter. To remember that darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. And that hate cannot drive out hate, no, only love can do that. To remember to never succumb to the temptation of bitterness. To remember that out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. To remember that we still have a dream. We are celebrate uh, um, Martin Luther King Day tomorrow, so the offices are closed. Uh, so allow the staff that day off, and I pray to you to celebrate it as best as you can in these circumstances that we are going through. Let us, uh, I want to thank, first before we get going, I want to thank the parents. I know many of you uh, have come out, have, uh, yes, have brought your kids out. You have, uh, you know, it's been a challenging time. We've had scares, but not spreads. And we thank the Lord for covering us and watching over us. So we uh, want to thank the parents for that. Let us turn our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. Uh, as we um, press forward in this year, parents, thank you so much. I uh, prayed for this time because I want the kids to learn how to persevere when times are challenging. And I wanted them to not work so hard and not be able to enjoy their hard work, especially with their nice costumes and stuff. They, they, they love that stuff. Um, and uh, I know how much people allowing me to serve as a kid blessed my life. So I don't believe that God did that for no reason and then called me the pastor and I forget about it. So thank you, parents. I really appreciate it. Prayed a lot. <laughs> Look at verse 9 of chapter 4 of uh, the book of Nehemiah. Best way to find Nehemiah is to go to the table of content. Is, uh, <laughs> that's the best way. Look down to verse, uh, verse 6 and then we go to verse 9 and we will... Work our way to verse 16. He says in verse 6, So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. In verse 9 it says, But we prayed to our God, uh, and because of them we set up a guard against them day and night. Thus in Judah... It was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing. Yet there was much rubbish, as, and we ourselves are unable to build a wall. Or the enemy said, they shall not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. And the Jews, when the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where we may turn. Then I stationed the men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall. They exposed places. And I stationed the people in families with their swords and spears and bows. And when I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord 
who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. And when our enemies heard it, it was known to us and that God has frustrated their plan. Then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. From that day on, half of my servants carried on the work while half of them held spears and, and shields and bows and breastplates and the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. Hey God, your word is blessed, Lord, and thank you so much for, for, for giving us this message in the midst of all that we are facing and all that we are dealing with. And God, we pray that Almighty God, you would guide us through this time. You are a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths in darkness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I understand that these times are difficult. I understand that these times are tough. I understand that these times take us through much travail. Just in the children's program and the scares, but not the spreads, could keep people tense and nervous. I understand that uh, jobs are scarce. Well, not jobs are scarce. Scarce are workers that are scarce. I understand that the times we live in can make people become agnostics quietly. What I mean by that is, it's like God is not functioning. He doesn't seem to care. He doesn't seem to be engaged when we are going through all of these difficulties and hardships and pain. It doesn't seem like God is engaged in terms of fixing this situation when we have prayed and consulted him and talked to him. So where is God when we need him? People could become Christian agnostics. I know that's an oxymoron. So times like this, we even question, why is God so silent? Why doesn't he speak up? Why doesn't he say something? And it causes us to live in, in controlled by where the circumstances we are in rather than redirected by them. Controlled by what they're saying to us emotionally, in fear, perplexing thoughts, uncertainty, dealing with anxiety. And rather than study the issue and see and study what is God's way through it. It's not like we're the first people to deal with trauma and difficulty. Uh, people were slaves in Egypt. Paul was beaten five times, 39 lashes, doing God's work. Shipwreck beaten, in jail, going through all kinds of issues. Daniel, purposing his heart to do the will of God in, a, in the lion's den. Have people at his workplace giving him trouble. Not the new to this. For every action that God has, Satan has a reaction. God is never reacting. Satan is the one who reacts. God always has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a focus. He sets it in Genesis to Revelation. He doesn't need a new Bible after 2,000 years. He understands what is coming. He tells us what is coming. He tells us that it's going to be here. He tells us how difficult times will be. And he knows what he's directing us to be and what to do. He understands what we are facing. So he's not trying to react to what Satan is doing. He's being purposeful despite what Satan is doing. He is taking all the actions of Satan, putting it attached to all that he plans to accomplish, putting that all into his plan but staying purposeful. Satan can react to Jesus being born. <laughs> Jesus Christ already said way back in the Old Testament he will go to Egypt before Satan ever reacts. Bible would talk about the fact that it's, you know, Jesus Christ is going to come and, and the star and all these different things will take place. That's in the Old Testament. He just ex executed what he planned to do. How in the midst of everything we're facing, we stay purposeful? Because it's not like God is adjusting his plan. It's not like God is writing a new Bible. It's not like God is saying 3 Corinthians is coming out next week. What he's done, he's saying it is so comprehensive. He says that when you admit and work with everything we need, we will have everything we need for life and godliness in the scriptures. There's no guesswork. The only time he's asking for us to apply ourselves is in the application, not in the concept development. So the issue today is how do we stay purposeful? How do we stay focused so that we're not dominated by the times we're in, 
We're just becoming more definitive in it. What I mean by that is, you know, the playoffs are here. And uh, Cowboys are playing, by the way. Um, just want to remind you, just in case. You see, the reason why there are timeouts, the reason why there are half times is because, and there are huddles, is because people are trying to figure out how to beat a defense and still do it from their playbook. They're not trying to rewrite the playbook while the game is going on. They're trying to figure out how to institute the playbook because the defense is doing different things that are making it difficult. So every time the defense does what it's doing, they become more refined in how they approach their playbook and how they apply what they're doing in their playbook so that they could accomplish touchdowns. That's being more purposeful and being refined in difficulty. These times should refine us and make our purpose more determined, but it shouldn't redetermine how we live. That's exactly what's taking place in this passage of Scripture. You see, what's happening in this passage of Scripture is that Sambalat and Tobia and the Ammonites and the Arabs, they got to fight four different nations. Why are they fighting these nations? They heard what God said. Go back to your land. After 70 years, I'll release you back to your land. That wasn't an easy trip. That was 900 miles. You don't have any nice places along the way, rest stops and Bugs B or whatever that place is along the road with clean bathrooms. You don't have that. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Bucky's, there you go. Y'all still alive. Bucky's along the way. When they have to use the restrooms, that's why women wear long guns. That's how they maintain their privacy. They dig a hole in the ground. That's how they relieve themselves. 900 miles. See, they went back to rubble, rubbish. When Nehemiah describes this, a lamentation describes this, you got jackals running through the walls. You, you go back there, the, in the midst of these 70 years, the surrounding nations are running spice trades through the country. The surrounding nations know every break in the wall. Because once these people plant into their ground and they plant for their food, the best way they can work this they didn't want to work next door in these nations. They would do is come when the people have reaped their crop. They would come and take the crop so the people starved through the winter. That's what they were doing. That's why they knew every crack in the wall. They would take their beautiful daughters and make them concubines. They would take their hard, strong sons and make them their slaves. They're in the midst of all that their obedience, it brought a lot of difficulty and pain and hardship. Enemies got stronger and more powerful because the spice trades brought them money. So they could build more military. They could get more hardware to fight. They could bet, get better horses, faster horses. They could get better war equipment. They could get all these different things that they could use. So now they're coming in here, building a wall, messing up their spice trades, stopping them from being able to take their crop because Nehemiah couldn't sit back and do nothing. He's hearing, he's sending money back. This is his third trip back to this land when you read the book of Nehemiah. They had three trips back. Nehemiah is the third trip. And in the midst of this, he's saying, I'm sending money. You know what? I got to get involved. Because these people are suffering. And here I am sitting up here as a cupbearer, which means he's managing all of the kingdom of Xerxes. Which means he's not just bringing him a cup. He is managing the kingdom of Xerxes. He's saying, look at me. I'm walking around in all of this. Most likely he got this job because Esther is his stepmother. That's who Esther is, his stepmother. So Esther's probably worked it to where Nehemiah has gotten this great job. And Nehemiah is going, wait a minute, I can't keep seeing all this mess and do nothing. He goes back. We may look at the book of Nehemiah. That was a 12-year stay to break this, get this thing organized. He went back to his job, came back. It was 12 years of hard work. In spite of all the problems that these nations were doing around them, the damage they were doing to their families, the damage they were doing to their homes, the damage they were doing to them being able to eat, there was a person who was purposeful. He was purposeful. 
From the time of Ezra to Nehemiah, they only got the wall half built. Nehemiah comes and finds the wall half built with cracks in it. The man came back and he ran into some people who had lost the passion anymore to do anything anymore. You can't, you, they didn't have the will to fight anymore. They didn't have the desire to fight anymore. You get up in the morning, your crop is gone, your soldiers standing on these horses and you're taking your daughter away because they want to make her a concubine. You can't fight her off. You can't do anything. You're standing there helpless. But because of a person who chooses to be purposeful, because of a person who chooses to not back up in the midst of all kinds of craziness, we have this passage of scripture today. You see, folks, we're not the first people to deal with a whole bunch of junk. We're not. The Bible tells us we are in the last days. The Bible tells us there's going to be tough times. The Bible tells us things are going to be hard. The issue is how do we function when it is? Because we are the salt, we are the light, we are the ones carrying the Bible. We are the ones saying that Jesus is the answer. We're the ones saying our salvation comes from Christ. We're the ones walking around talking our hope is in Christ. We're the ones saying that Jesus Christ is able to do exceedingly abundantly all we could ever ask or think. Then what are we doing? That's why we say, that's why in verse 8 they said in spite of. In spite of, in spite of everything, this is what their life looks like. What do they mean by in spite of? What do they mean by in spite of? In spite of the fact, look at verse 10, they not only have these people threatening them and saying that they're going to come against them. Matter of fact, look at verse 5 for just a minute. He says in verse 5, he says, do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out, speaking about the enemies that rose up against them before you, for they have demoralized the builders. People don't feel like working no more. They don't feel like doing this no more. They're tired. And, and in spite of the fact that they're, they, they gather together and they're going to try to hurt them. Look at verse 2. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish the work? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? So now Tobiah, an Ammonite, was near him and said, even what is, was big, they, they got this big meeting and they're mocking them, our building, if a fox should jump on it, we would break their stone wall down. They despise them, they mock them. In verse, in verse 10, they, they're carrying, they're not no cranes and excavators and all these bulldozers. They're finding ways to have to lift all this rubble and rocks. Look at verse 10, and Judah said, and, and this is thus in Judah was said, the strength of the burden bearers are failing. They find these men with big muscles and stuff to move all this stuff, yet there's much rubbish and we ourselves are unable to build a wall. There is so much going against them. The uncertainty of what they're dealing with. The overwhelming circumstances that they're in. They start to feel demoralized. See, understand, understand here. They start to feel demoralized. They say, that we can't do this. Well, guess what? In spite of all of that, they chose to do when they were feeling that down. Look at verse 9. I understand that many days you feel like, God, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Money is tight and my kids are in school and I'm nervous for them. The stress of not knowing what's coming next. Our country is polarized. You've got a volcano under the sea not too long ago that sent a tsunami up against many ocean cities. Times are here. How many times have you heard of a volcano under the sea that would send a rushing wave onto an island? <laughs> What's next, God? What's next? What's going to happen next? What's going to go wrong next? There's one thing you would see in verse 9 that you can't miss in verse 9. Let's look at verse 9. He says this. But we prayed. 
What did they do? We prayed. And I, please, don't, please understand me here. They didn't just pray one time. They decided that they're going to keep praying no matter what. And why we're going to keep praying is a key phrase in this verse we could miss. Watch it carefully. We prayed to whose God? Our God. What are they saying? They don't have God like we got God. We have a covenant with God. They don't. Now, I want you to see how this maturated over time. Look at verse, look at chapter 2. Look at chapter 2. When Nehemiah came and he's purposeful and he wants to get things done, he says, in Nehemiah says to them, he says in verse, in verse 17, he says, and then he said to them of chapter 2 of the book of Nehemiah, we see the bad situation we're in. Jerusalem is desolate. The gates are burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we no longer are a reproach. I told them how the hand of what? My God. What are they saying in chapter 4? Our God. See, see, see you, you have to see the maturation process that is huge for God to function in church life. It took leadership. My God. I can't sit back here in, <laughs> sit back here in Babylon and watch people suffer, watch people hurt, and be in this wonderful job and every day function in this wonderful job and do nothing. So I went to a king who could say kill him. And that king, instead of killing me, because of the connection that's ahead of me, Esther is his stepmother, is ahead of me. Show me kindness. So God was ahead of me. Before I ever walked into this, God set it up. And now this king who could have said, kill him, said, go back. And not just go back, I'm going to send my nobles, my strongest soldiers, to guide you and on your way pick up some material on your way pick up some material so this 900 mile trip that he took don't forget now you just don't go out on the strip if it's winter and it becomes winter <laughs> you just can't keep going you got to wait till the ground dries back up so there's times when he is parked somewhere waiting for the rain to stop, waiting for the ground to dry. This man took this trip back and he says, when I see, even he's taking that trip back, why is he having soldiers alongside of him? They're robbers along the way. So God organized all of this. So when he gets back, he looks at the people and he says, my God. You see, <laughs> there's a lot of people that could be in your life. But my brother has to keep reminding me, she ain't your mama, she is our mama. But in my mind, she my mama. See, there's a difference. Why? Because there's an experience. There's a difference. Why? Because there's so many times she's been there. There's a difference. Why? Because she was at the school for me. The difference when she get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and wake me up and says, you're behind in your schoolwork. You're going to study. Here's some breakfast to get you going. She did that to me. So no matter how much eight kids were there, see, my mama. It doesn't matter all of Jerusalem was there. To Nehemiah, he, my God. But when people accepted that leadership and trusted that leadership and see God start to rebuild chapter 2 all the way through to chapter 3, they're rebuilding the gates, they're rebuilding the wall. The Levites are coming together, taking on sections, and all the people are moving in different directions, getting things done. And they see it coming to the way they, what, what, make, what happened? The enemy rose up. They ain't doing this. We ain't going to just sit here and let them do that. Satan reacts. But God is purposeful. And because they see this and they see God moving, he became our God. You see, understand folks. We want for God to show up. But God is saying, I'm always there. Are you going to trust me? We want God to come through for us. And God is going, what do you mean come through? I'm always every place at the same time. I'm always doing stuff. You see the sun come out. You see the moon come out. You see the earth spinning. You see the rain fall on this side of town. You see all these different things happening. What are you talking about? Where is God? Don't you see him every day? That's why he says, it's a fool that says in his heart, where is God? 
there's no God. Look at me, everyday functioning. The question isn't whether or not I'm operating. The question is, when do, when do you allow me to become our God? Because you trust me. You believe in me. You believe in my word. You believe in my protection. You believe in my vision. You trust it in the worst of times. You still do what I ask. In the worst of times, you still show up at that job and be what you need to be. No matter who's saying crazy stuff about you. No matter who's saying ugly things. I'm going to still do what God says. I'm going to tell them good morning. I'm going to act in the way God asks me to because he is God. He is my God. And if I keep doing what he needs me to do, he will become our God. Oh, folks, yes, I understand they're tough times. They're difficult times. But when we trust God and we see him come through for our church, he will become not just Paul Canning's God, this other person's God. He will become our church. For our church, he become our God. He'll become a community of believers working together to bring out what God says he's about. That in the midst of the virus, in the midst of different things in the economy, different polarization in the political system, we could still be a community that make a difference because we maintain God's purpose despite the circumstances. And we see him as a community working. And we see him as a community coming through. So instead of it being just a leadership God, he is our God. He's our community making a difference. They're working together. They stay focused. They didn't let fear overwhelm them and turn them away from God. And they did what? Kept praying. Man, the hardest thing to get people to do in a church is to pray. Hardest thing. You say prayer meeting, everybody go home. You say, oh, just let's stop and have a time of prayer before we go to sleep. Do we know what prayer means to God? Do, 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 you, do you ever ask yourself why God makes a big deal about prayer? He already knows what we're thinking. He already knows what we want to ask. He already knows what's going through our mind. He knows it. So what's this big deal about praying? Praying is recognizing that without God, I'm nothing. Praying is respect. That God, I know that I need to consult you before I do anything else because I can't do anything else without you. Praying is recognizing his superiority and my inferiority. Praying is recognizing that his ability is so far above mine that it's a worthless to go do anything without consulting him. Prayer is, is literally submitting to God that God, until you come through, I'm going to wait on you. Because unless you come through, I can't do nothing. That's what prayer is. That's why he would say, pray without ceasing. Because in everything, God, I will give you the respect that you are in control. No matter how crazy it is, I respect you're in control. I respect you got this, God. I respect you know what you're doing, God. So I'm going to talk to you because I know you're in charge. I know you're doing what you're supposed to do. So I'm going to keep being purposeful because nobody can ever take you out of your spot. You know what's the most humbling thing is, uh, <laughs> and it used to scare me, honest to God, as a, uh, <laughs> as a um, father, is that sometimes when things are going crazy and things are going uh, difficult and stuff is going on, kids would run and hold on to you. I used to get scared, like, oh, God, they expect me to make a difference here. I don't even know what I'm doing either. I'm just as scared as they are. I, I never forget that, you know, uh, <laughs> um, it, it was a, a tough time for a child. And I remember that this bike broke, the bike broke, and I just drove up on the driveway, and my son goes, Dad, my bike broke, and he's mad, he's upset, my bike broke, his friends are up and down the street riding, he can't ride, and I'm going, he said, Dad, you have to fix my bike, and I'm going, oh, God, don't let me disappoint this kid, I don't know nothing. I remember that day coming out the car, Going into the garage to get the tools like I know what I'm doing. God, they, they, they laugh at my house when I grab a knife, I mean a fork or anything to screwdriver or anything. They just start laughing. Okay, y'all, let's just uh, go and this will be tomorrow, you know. So they laugh. They used to call me Mr. Huxtable, but that got twisted, you know. 
That's what they used to call me. Okay, here comes Mr. Huxtable. He can try to fix something. So I went in the garage and I've come out and I'm looking at the bike and he is sitting there. Dad, oh, how long do you think it's going to take? Not, not whether or not it's going to be fixed. Dad, how long do you think it will take you to fix my bike? And I'm watching the friends up and down the street. Hey, man, come on, come on, Paul. I looked at the bike. I said, in the name of Jesus, don't let me not fix this bike. All he knows is that his dad came home at the right time to fix his bike. And this is a done deal because he's telling his friends that. He is saying, I'll be right there, man. My dad is fixing my bike. I go, no, I'm not really. But <laughs> I finally figured out what to do. And that word finally is an important word. And I got it together because I was excited. I got it together. He jumped on the bike and he never tested it. He just rode it. For some reason, I stood there because I decided you know, I always like to watch my kids play. I didn't like them just out in the street playing. So I just got my little chair from my garage and sat out there and I said, oh my God. I ride him watching him riding up and down the street. Oh God. I wish I could. That's why you say, have the faith of a child. You see, the only thing that made him that confident was because I'm his dad. It had nothing to do, nothing on my job description says bike fixer. Nothing on my chest said bike fixer. But because I am his dad, he believed I could fix that bike. God is saying, I'm your daddy. I'm your father. I'm in control of everything. Why am I consulted last? Why don't I have the time to hear when I'm speaking? They didn't do that, folks. In the midst of all the pressure they were going through, they got into a constant prayer while they were working. How often do you pray? Does it have to be traumatic where you're just out of your mind and you pray? Or is it praying without ceasing? What is the pattern of your prayer life? Are you, what, is, what, what kind of context do you pray in? Because what I mean by that is, are you praying, God, I expect you to fix this, or God, thank you so much for listening to me. Is there any confidence in our prayer? God, that's what prayer starts off with. Our Father, which is in heaven. Give us, the, give us this day our daily bread is down the road. But at the very top, He's saying, I consult God, a father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in heaven as it is on earth. Then give us this day. So when I'm asking you for bread, it's attached to you carrying out your will and your purpose. They prayed, folks. What is your prayer life like in the midst of COVID? Watch this carefully. Go down to verse 11. They prayed. In spite of it, they prayed. Oh, the second, second thing in spite of. They set up guard because they didn't stop working. Watch this carefully. In verse 9. And because of them, we set up guard against them day and night. I, I'm not, please don't get me twisted with this. I'm not saying, well, minute. That you don't have to be conscious and careful with COVID or this new variant or what it does when you go to work or your kids go to school. They set up guard. We got stuff on our face. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we got to stay purposeful while we stay smart. Watch it carefully. They set up guard while they were praying. They didn't just set up guard and say, God got this. They prayed and they set up guard. That's how they stayed purposeful. What are they saying from doctors, not social media? What are they saying from scientists, not some person trying to get hits on social media and build their system so they could be popular and make money? What are they saying? from people who are doing this research and trying to guide us. 
say, we set up guard and we pray. Why? We got to rebuild this wall. It's tearing down our communities. It's tearing down our marriages. There's people still out there getting on drugs. There's still people talking about divorce. There's still people out there struggling as single parents. There's still people out there that have lost loved ones. There's still people that are broken and hurting. There's still walls coming down and anxiety and fear and stress. What are, how, what, we just, we're just going to let this go on? There's still people committing suicide because they're alone for long periods of time. Locked in their apartments and their homes. No one calls or talks to them because they're scared of this virus. What do we do in the midst of all of this? Do we just keep hiding or do we stay purposeful? Walls are coming down. That's why, despite the opposition, look at verse 11. Despite the opposition, they believed in God's power. Look at verse 11. You think Satan's going to go. Don't forget, Satan reacts. God stays purposeful. So guess what Satan does? He reacts. Oh, y'all think you're going to have guards out there? Have a prayer meeting going on? Y'all think that's going to do something to me? So Satan gets more angry. Look at verse 11. An enemy said, they will not know or see until we come among them. Kill them. The word kill means we're going to slaughter them, cut them up in pieces. We're going to destroy them. We're going to make them so afraid of us by the way we destroy them. And put a stop to the work. Put a stop to it. Put a stop to it. (laughs) Think Satan want us meeting for church? Think Satan wants the men's ministry to meet yesterday? Think Satan wants to see the community outreach stuff, feeding families, taking care of drug addicts? You think Satan wants Alan Butte to do what he's doing? Do you think Satan wants the building to keep being built in Africa while we are struggling? You think Satan wants to see what we're doing in the Caribbean, having a virtual conference in two weeks with about 14 different islands? Think Satan is happy with that? You think Satan is happy with the counseling ministry doing what they're doing? You think Satan is happy with the children's ministry, the men's ministry, the, chil- women, the women's ministry doing trying to stuff, doing different things? Women's ministry in a few weeks having uh, Sister Leon Brooks, Sister Brooks come here and teach? Well, none of this stuff. We got to stop the work. We got to close these churches down. This stuff is in the Bible we're dealing with. We act like God went to sleep in the midst of all of this. We're going to shut this down. They're going to prayer meetings and talking in prayer meetings. They're going to put up guards thinking that they could stop us. No. We're going to get this thing worse. We're going to bring out another virus. We're going to scare them some more. Because they can't see what the enemy is doing. This is an unseen enemy. They can't see it. They're telling them. They said the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times. They will come up against us. They got a secret plan going on. They have meetings. I just read you the meeting in verse 2. Did you see a Jew involved in the meeting? No. You think they're going to be happy? Later on, they say, okay, this guy Nehemiah keeps rising up. We're going to go after Nehemiah in chapter 7. Don't you think they would, don't you think Satan would love for me to get the virus? So he could say, look at that preacher talking crazy. I got him. Don't you think I'm aware of that? You think he love to tear my family into bits and pieces? Not too long ago when Nehemiah is standing up leading, they go after Nehemiah. This is a war. We call it a virus. I call it a war. Look at this. They're going to play, he uses the word enemy here, meaning we're distressed. We're in anguish. <laughs> and these people are coming up against us. Could you imagine you are a sheep herder and four powerful nations are coming up against you with the, all the military hardware they could find? Four nations against you as a sheep herder. Let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. Maybe, maybe it'll break it down a little more for you. Okay? You are at the gas station. And you have about... Uh, 25 people, machine guns, pistols, machetes, 
daggers. Uh, High-capacity rifles all coming at you. And what you have in your hand is a car key. Would you still pray? Would you run? When you know what God is saying you do? They're just like you. They were afraid. They were afraid. You can't see this virus. You don't even know when it's going to hit you. There's a reason to be afraid. I get it. I understand it. I got fussed at for going to Africa. I get it. I'm here by the grace of God. Because I understand what he's saying here. With everything against them. Look at verse 13. Then I stationed. Who stationed? Nehemiah. Nehemiah said, oh, no, 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 no. Well, was carefully. Look, look, look at verse 14. When I saw their what? Fear. They were trembling. They were intimidated. They were afraid. Verse 14. Do not be afraid of them. Do not tremble. Do not act like God. This God you've been praying to, believing and trusting is gone. He's still in control. He's still powerful. He's still able to do exceedingly abundantly all you can ever ask or think. This God is able. You're more than a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ. Them first will still work. You can't be so afraid that you stop doing the work of God. Can't be so afraid that he shuts you down. Can't. He says... The, the, the leadership stood up. Verse 13, then I stationed men. Not we stationed men. Verse 9 says we. Verse 13 says I. Put some in parts. I stationed the people and their families and their swords and their spears. When I saw they were afraid, I rose up and spoke to the nobles, the officials. I went to the leadership first. I didn't go to the people first. I rose up to the nobles and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid. Here's the key word. Remember. Remember. Remember when we weren't sure we were going to finish this building. Remember when they stole the seats. Remember. Remember there was nobody here when we bought this land. Remember. Remember God's history. Before you look at the present situation and, and forget that God is purposeful. Remember when you were broke. Remember when you were destitute. Remember when you were hurting. Remember when you didn't know how you're going to pay your bills. Remember when you weren't sure you get up off the operating table. Remember when you weren't sure if your kids going to make it or not. Remember when you weren't sure that pregnancy will come through. Remember when you weren't sure whether or not you will live or die. Who was there? Remember the Red Sea. Remember how we got 900 miles down the road and built these homes and are still building this wall. Remember. Just meditate on that. I love David says, I killed a lion. I killed a bear. You ain't nothing. When you can't look forward, Look back. When you can't look forward and don't care, not too sure what to do, look back and remember the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the power of God, the ability of God. You got to remember. <laughs> remember the days when I didn't know a whole lot about building. And Dwayne McNabb died. I said, well, what are we going to do? We're going to keep building. Well, we don't, you don't have a building project manager. I'm going to learn. He was free. We ain't got no money. So I'm free. Let's do this. Called a friend. Hey, man, you architect. So why don't you give me some heads up here? I'll pay you a little consulting fee. Paul, you don't owe me nothing. Let's do this. I got you, man. I remember them days. I remember walking through that building, Family Life Center. And he goes, that structure is not right. Let me tell you how. Take pictures. Let me show you. I learned. Then I remembered. My dad was an architect. 
did it as a side job. I remember being around my dad when he refurbished, when he re rebuilt our home. Start to remember, God has, God has prepared me for this. Not my first building. I've actually been around building. I remembered. That's why you're going to finish this. Remember. When, when, when Satan gets you in so much fear, he tries to get you to forget. But you have to remember. That's why he says, you got to live by faith and not by sight. By faith. Faith is the ability of God. Sight that intimidates me is my ability against whatever I'm facing. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, hey, don't, don't forget. Remember now, God is great. Here's a key thing. He is the one to fear. Not fear itself. Fear him. Fear him. Many times you just, you, 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 you're so in so fear, you let the fear dominate. He said, no, 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 no. You have to remember. Please remember. When you remember, remember that God opened up the Red Sea with Pharaoh as an army is dead. He is the one to fear. He is the one to look with an intimidation to walk away from his will, to walk away from whatever he's telling you to do. That's the one to be concerned about, not what Satan is doing. The one to fear is to be outside of his will because the safest place to be is in God's will. But it doesn't look safe all the time. When you're on the water and the waves and the winds are blowing, when you're in a lion's den and the lions, they didn't say the lions slept, they're roaring and looking at you all night. When the fire is hot and your friends are in it, when you're in jail for 12 years as Joseph and God isn't saying nothing, that's the person to reverence. That's the person to respect. Because that keeps you purposeful. But when you let everything else make you afraid, you're here today, you're gone this way, you're moving this way tomorrow, you're in this direction, you're, ah, and not to show what to do, we start to lean on our common sense, not on our faith. And our common sense drives us because that's our comfort zone, not our faith. Faith is purposeful. It doesn't change. The books in the Bible stay the same. They're not adjusting, not going in this direction or that direction. So a faith keeps us purposeful, running the race that's set before us with our eyes fixed. But fear has us everywhere. Don't even encourage us to pray. Don't encourage us to read the Bible. Encourage us to find safe places. Don't run to safe places. God has a way when you choose to walk with him. He'll take you out of every safe place you got and make you have to trust him. If there's anything I learned about God, that's how he operates. I said, God, I want to walk with you. Okay, let's see how this works. Abraham, I'm taking you from a safe place. Your father, Haran, where your relatives are. I'm going to make you a nomad walking around in the wilderness. How long am I going to do that, God? 25 years for one kid. But I told you I'm going to make you a nation. If you're going to walk with God, he makes you uncomfortable because it forces you to trust him. But if you want to walk with God and then somehow end up with a life that is very comfortable, you're going to go back to common sense. God ain't trying to make you comfortable. Trying to make you rest in his power and reverence him. That's what he wants. If there's anything I've learned about my life is that God wants nothing, no part of it. He's only interested in his. God is not interested in my life. He don't even care if the cowboys win today. That bugs me to death, but he doesn't care. You know, he doesn't really care. God don't care about my life because God is life. So my life and what I may call my life is learning to die to me. But in our world, nah. We want God to bless our life. And God is saying, that only lasts today and is gone tomorrow. But my life is forever. So why not learn to walk with me? Because that's what you're going to be doing forever. 
I understand why we should be afraid. I get it. I was probably more afraid than you are with the kids here. I have prayed and begged God so many times. It was hard to watch them today. But what is God saying? Praying, 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 praying. Dr. Judy Times came up on my head. Let me call a doctor. I mean, she manages disease control in the medical center. Black as she is, she's the vice chairman of the Baylor School of Medicine in the education department. And you put her right here. 20-something years before a virus. Remember God. What do you do, Judy? Keep masks on everybody because that reduces the impact of the virus and we know that for a fact now. Sylvia, nobody take off their mask. Let's go. Remember, he fits his body together fitly, faith. God, do I stand or move forward? In this case, move forward. But when you do it, Stay focused and you'll accomplish more. And being in this setting, look at verse 50. Let me wrap up. Verse 50. This is a series I want us to be in this whole year. Pastor Maiden started off, did a great job. This is the series. What do we do in these times? What is God saying in these times? I would never lack that God going to shut up in these times. He ain't shutting up. Not in this pulpit. God is not afraid of what's happening. God has a plan for what is happening. It's not a shocker that this is taking place. It's not like it happened for the first time. It happened everywhere. They don't see this. This enemy is planning this situation behind their backs. They don't know what he's planning. When the enemy verse, and our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had frustrated their plans. <laughs> then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. I think Nehemiah says he ain't going to be keeping an eye on them. Now Nehemiah said, hey, here's a spear. Here's a sword. Here's a shield. And Nehemiah got in dumb, in dumb. Nehemiah said, protect the house that you live in with your kids. I ain't going to just make you an army. No. I want you to go where your house is, not too far from where your house is. You go straight to the wall where your house is, and you stand there and guard it. So when you finish building that wall, you're taking care of your family. Watch this carefully. Not until that plan was in place, leadership stood their post, led the people in the direction that God said that God show up. You can't miss that. Can't miss that. From all this time, you could read from verse one, from chapter two, from chapter one, middle all the way to chapter four. Find where God spoke. Nowhere. It's not until the people following that leadership said, We're gonna keep building. God says, I'm gonna frustrate everything that they're planning to do. I will make it so hard for them. They could never crystallize what they plan to do to take you out. Every time they put it together, it gets frustrating. Every time they organize their countries to come together, it'll never work. I'm going to make them so difficult for them to be able to hurt you, they could never come. These nations could never organize themselves. They had a big meeting, and that meeting does not crystallize a plan that works for anybody. So when they get in this huddle, no, nah, man, we ain't going in that direction. We need to go over there. And we're going to try and do this. When, when they put themselves in different plans, they get frustrated and don't go. Watch when it happened. It happened when Nehemiah stood and the people walked forward by faith. Then God spoke. Why? Last passage, I promise. Go to Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11.6. We want God to act. God says... Do you trust me or not? Let me see if you trust me. Let me see if you believe in me. 
Let me see if all this stuff I can do, all things through Christ, I am more than a conqueror. Let's see if all of that is what you really believe. You just quote it to keep yourself encouraged. Do you really believe I'm God and I'm in control? Do you really believe that I'm able to do what I say I'm going to do? We've had some scares here, but no spreads. Look at verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And as a rewarder of those who seek him. Must believe. He's not taking no chump change here. They must believe in God. We must put ourselves in the direction that God wants us in. And not until we are there, God is not going to move. We want God to make a difference. God is saying, well, act like you believe it first. God, I need you to make a change in my life. Well, God, act like you're going to believe it's going to happen. God, I believe that you could do all things. Then get up in the morning and act like you, you're going to do all things. God, I believe you're more than a conqueror. Well, then go and face your situation expecting me to come through for you. God, I believe that you could move mountains. Well, start climbing at least one of them. God, I believe that you could protect my family without acting like you believe what I said. God says, if you believe in me, then step on the plane, buckle up, and trust me to land you. If you believe in me, then jump out the plane and pull the parachute and act like it's going to land. If you believe in me, then get on the boat, get out of the middle of the sea, and when the storm is there, trust that I can pilot you through. Don't talk about belief on the shore. Don't talk about the belief, belief at the airport. Don't talk about belief like you are not going to trust me. God says, if you believe in me, the only thing I reward is your faith. Like, oh, you know what? Can't get this passage out of my head. God must want y'all to listen. Look at James. James, hey, just one book back. One book back. Look at James. It ain't gonna hurt you. Look at James. This is what he says. One book to your left, and you're gonna find James. And you know what? The preacher is wrong. One book to your right. You're going to find it. One book to your right, you're going to find it. This is why Satan will keep talking loud, keep a lot of noise, keep a whole lot of stress, keep a whole lot of anxiety in life right here. If he creates doubt, it is an antidote to faith. And when an antidote to faith is doubt, God does nothing. He backs up. Watch this carefully. In verse, in verse 6 he says, But we ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from God. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, we're going to do this. Stand. Put the swords over here, spears over here. Watch your house. Take care of your family. Our God is on our side. God got us here. He's established us. We're going to rebuild this wall. They ain't taking our kids no more. They're not going to hurt our children anymore. They're not going to take our boys and our girls. They're not going to take our crop anymore. They're not going to use our land as some kind of safe, as some kind of spice trade. We're going to establish our nation to be strong again. And we're going to believe God to do it because he told Jeremiah in 70 years you're going to go back and rebuild the land. We got a verse for that we got Cyrus releasing us we are here Xerxes let me come and bring materials God's hand is at work so we don't let them cause us to doubt we're going to build this wall because if we doubt we are unstable in all our ways and God says when we studied it first prayer is a waste of your time why ask me I'm not giving you nothing you're wasting my time kneeling on your knees and praying and crying out to me when you don't want to walk by faith. Oh, folks, that's why I'm doing this series. <laughs> I got grandkids too, you know. They go to school. I see them. I took a few of them to school the other day. <laughs> I had two rules. Before you get in my truck, you got to hug me. When you get in, get in my truck, you got to pray to God with me. And then I'll drive. All right, Papa, we got to get to school. Pray. 
No problem. You didn't hug me. Okay. Can't pray until you hug. You know, that's how the buttons work. See, folks, I get it. We must stay purposeful. Because when we do, we demonstrate faith. We don't doubt. We don't go questioning where God is. We hold on to and we walk in it. We trust it. Because God, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18, can't even conceive a lie. Satan is the liar. So I challenge you today. No matter how life is, be purposeful. Let us stand. Let God design your purpose. Let God shape how that purpose is. I don't know how God moved on your heart today, but I know that people warned me today not to have you standing too long, so I'll be quick. Uh, no, thank God for people around me. I hear it. But I pray that God has touched your heart today. I really do. And if this passage has convicted you about how you are facing these times, and many times you may not have opened up your Bible to see what is God saying? You know, God, what, what do you want me to do with my family? What do you want me to do with my job? How do you want me to operate and function? God, I'm going to get on my knees and pray because I don't even know where to turn, but I know you're there. Guide me to figure out what passage to look at, what verse to look at. What do I believe in after I get up off my knees? If that becomes from this message where God is leading you, let me pray with you today because I know the enemy will rise up and speak louder. I know the enemy will rise up <laughs> and stress you out more. I know the enemy will rise up and make you more anxious and more stressed and more nervous. So let me pray with you. Just come forward today. And let's say, God, I'm going to be purposeful. I'm going to walk with you no matter how difficult it is. I'm not talking about just church. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about the issues in your life. I'm talking about your call. What is your spiritual gift? How could you use that gift? I'm talking about your job and how do you operate on that job. I'm talking about your family and how you need to operate within your family in these times that you're in, not just church. I'm talking about how do you deal with the anxieties and the stress that comes from this time? How do you deal with the frustration that comes from this time in managing a tough budget and managing all the different things that go with this? How do you go to a doctor's office? How do you deal with your kids at school and the anxiety that you go through? How do you deal with making decisions when things are tight financially? I'm not just talking about church and coming to church. I'm talking about life and how you face it when the enemy is screaming at you. And when no matter what you decide, he gets more intense in how he comes after you. Let us come. Let us pray. If you can, if you can, if you can, step up on one step of the thing. And then I pray so you don't have to stand here long and be too close to each other. Dear God, I thank you so much for this message today and how it touched the lives of people. I pray, God, that in the midst of everything they're going through, that they will seek your wisdom and find it. I pray, God, that you will remind them to pray and to never stop, even if they feel like nobody was there when they talked, even if it feels like it was just open air, 
that they will still pray because you said to pray without ceasing. God, I pray that whatever problems they're facing in, your, in their lives, God, that your word will become relevant to how they operate, become relevant to how they work. So, Lord, you not just bless them with wisdom, you illuminate the word of God so that they can understand it. And, Lord, give them the strength to keep applying it when Satan tries to create doubt that God ain't doing nothing for you, God ain't helping you. When all those thoughts come, God, I pray in the name of Jesus the Christ that you'll remind them of your word, you will commit them to your word, and you'll give them the strength to make it through. God, when we fail in that, I pray, God, when we fail in that, that you will give us the humility to say, God, I'm wrong, I confess my sin, and redirect us to have the strength to keep pressing forward. We ask you for this, Lord. In the name of Jesus, the Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Now stay that course. Walk those steps. Don't back up. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We're going we're gonna to end with, our, with a song, and then I'll close us out. I know some of you may be a little nervous about going to uh, L.A. If you are, not going to press you. What I do ask is that you find a way in. We have free conference line. You could go in online. You don't have to miss it anymore. No excuse for that. You could go in the Family Life Center if you don't want to go home and miss half of it. You could sit in the Family Life Center spaced out, in the Legacy Worship Sanctuary spaced out. And then you can get on your tablets or your phone and go to free conference line. You could still be in Life App. We've worked hard at that. Okay? Let us sing and leave. Believe in God that he is able. Believe in God. Believe in God. Not being controlled by all our circumstances, but being controlled by God's word.